For the last few Sundays, we've been talking about our core values here at Redeemer. What, what makes Redeemer tick? What, what drives us here? Uh, the first uh, few Sundays, we talked about the Bible. And then the last few Sundays, we've talked about the gospel, being gospel-centered. Uh, and then for these next couple of Sundays, we're going to talk about the body or each other. Um, you can see this behind me on this sign. We've got the Bible, the gospel, and the body. Those are our core values uh, sometimes. And church, I think churches mean well. They, they sometimes, um, they really, they, they do too much when it comes to core values. And uh, hopefully next week I'll answer, well, Ricky, why isn't prayer a core value? Or why isn't this a core value? Or what? And, and you'll see kind of as we bring all these things together, how, how it makes sense, how these three things are what drive us. And that's why we pray. That's why we worship. That's why we do these things. So um, I'm hoping you'll stick with us. In his children's book, Are You My Mother, P.D. Eastman writes of a mother bird who leaves her egg in search of food. The egg hatches while she is away, and the baby bird falls from the nest in search of his mother, asking different animals, are you my mother? Finally, after some time away from the nest, and after asking many other animals, the baby bird finds its way back to the nest and is reunited with his mother, and the baby bird recounts its adventures to the mother bird safe and sound in the nest. So as I was thinking through my intro for today, I wanted to clearly define for us what is the body of Christ or what is the church. And this, this book, P.D. Eastman's book, Are You My Mother, illustrated by um, Dr. Seuss. Don't tell on me. I said I talked about Dr. Seuss. Um, made me th think of a few things. Number one, how does the baby bird know its mom is gone? Number two, why does the baby, baby bird go off in search of this mom whom he has never seen? And thirdly, if someone sat down and clearly defined and described who his mom was, would he have left? And you may be saying, Ricky, you're overanalyzing a children's book, okay? But as we look at this, I think it, it helps us know who our family is when we get saved. When God saves us, it helps us to clearly define this is who your family is, the, the church. And sadly, the church has become a place you come and sit for an hour or more, depending on where you attend, in America and less about a body you belong to. This is why we want to constantly remind our hearts the church is not a weekly meeting we attend, check the box and move on with our week. But the church is a people who have been purchased to live life with. We must fight against the idea of it only being a place we attend once a week. So I, I gave you this at the beginning, but I just wanted to, to give you a small review. We started with the Bible and why it's, it's our authority and how it's telling one continuous story of Jesus coming to save who? People who can clean themselves up, coming to save sinners like you and I. The last couple of Sundays, we've looked at what is the gospel, how does it change my life, and what does it mean to be gospel-centered? So with these 
two things in mind, the Bible being our authority and us being gospel-centered, or our aim to be gospel-centered, and our mission statement on our lips. Let, let me remind you what our mission statement is as Redeemer Borger. We exist to love and glorify God by engaging our neighbors with the gospel and making Christ-centered disciples in Hutchison County and beyond. <clears throat> we want to clearly define what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. So what is the church? This is according to our statement of faith, which is derived from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. It says, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. It consists of the full number of the elect who have been, are, or will be gathered into one under Christ, her head. The church is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all being Christ, a local church gathered and fully organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members. The officers appointed by Christ are overseers or elders and deacons. They are to be chosen and set apart by the church called and gathered in this way for the distinct purposes of administering ordinances and for carrying out any other power of duty. Christ entrusts with them or calls them to. This pattern is to be continued to the end of the age or until Christ comes. So go, you're, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. You're going to need your Bible today because we're going to be in a lot of Bible, okay? If anyone ever accuses me of too much Bible, then I'm probably pastoring the wrong church, okay? <laughs> go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 15. So there's a history of the church. In Genesis 12 through 15, the story of Abraham or Father Abraham, if you, ever, if you grew up in church, you sang that song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. You know that song? Okay. So this gives us insight to where the church begins. You have a pagan or someone who doesn't really belong to God's family who God calls to leave his land and his, and his extended family to go to a place he did not know with his wife who could not have children, and they were older at this time. So let's look at Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and it should be, should be up on the screen for you. It said, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram, who is Abraham, in a vision, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward. Your reward shall be very great, excuse me. But Abram said, O Lord, what will, you give, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of the house of Eliezer and Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look, toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So here's quickly what this happens. What happens here at the, at the book of the beginnings is God calls Abraham to leave the place that he knows and to go to an unknown land. And his wife Sarah and him are very old at this time. They shouldn't be having kids, okay? And they don't have any kids. And, Abraham's, and God, Abraham tells God, 
How are you going to make me the father of many nations if I can't even have kids? And look at my wife. She's even older than I am. And God says, look out into the night sky and you see the stars above you, Abraham. That is how many people will be in your family. Now think about this. Look at me for just a minute. Think about this. When Abraham numbered those stars and he was overwhelmed at the number of them, can you think about you being one of those stars? That's crazy. That blows me away to think that I am a part of that family. So God makes a promise to Abraham that his offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky. God, from the very beginning, has been preparing for himself a people for his glory. If you want a definition of what the church is, that is a definition. God, from the very beginning, has been preparing for himself a people for his glory. So let's connect this to the New Testament. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, one of the letters that Paul writes. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11, Now it is evident that one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, listen to this, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Paul is reminding us here that we are a part of one family. And if you think back to our Ephesians series where Paul talks about that Christ knocked down the wall of hostility, he talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, that you no longer have to be a Jew through your bloodline, that you can be a Gentile, okay? And let me, let me, let me give you some bad news, we are all Gentiles in this room. Okay, we're all Gentiles. So, Christ died for both the Jew and the Gentile. This is a, a glorious thing for us to know that you don't have to be Jewish so that you can be a part of the family, that we can be Gentiles and be a part of the family because of what Christ has done. Turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 I love the, the, this imagery that Paul, I mean, that uh, the prophet Isaiah uses for us. Isaiah 43, verses 5 through 10. It says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, Give up to this, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. 
Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. So even in the Old Testament, through the prophet Isaiah, God is saying to his people that one day I'm going to be calling people to myself. And it's not going to be about the the family or the bloodline they're from, but it's going to be more about the blood of my son who I will crush on a cross and his blood will be poured out for those elect people. And listen... In Isaiah 43, listen to the language that's used in Matthew 28. Turn to Matthew 28. I told you we're going to be turning a lot of places today. This is known as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And pick up up on some things that are happening in this description of what happens before Jesus ascends. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Listen to this, this, these three words. But some, what? Doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Pay attention to how Jesus gives gospel confidence to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. It says, some worshiped and some doubted. Now, I'll tell you this. I'll I'll just be completely honest with you for just a second. I probably would have been numbered among the ones that doubted. Like, wait, whoa. Jesus, you've been with us for for three years now. We've been walking with you, and now you're leaving us? Like, wait, like, we need your help. Are you not going to restore all things? And Jesus is like, I am. And I'm sending someone. We're going to get to that in just a moment. I'm sending someone. And I love the way Jesus bookends the Great Commission. He says, all authority has been given to me. The name above all names has been given to me. Now that I lived a perfect life, died the death you deserve to die, defeated death in the resurrection, and now I'm going to ascend. The name above all names has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. So now go do these things. And then the, the, the last end of that verse, he says, I am with you always. All authority, I am with you always. Do these things. You see how, how gracious the Lord Jesus Christ is with his people, with his church? He's saying, you don't have to fear because all authority has been given to me. Do these things and I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid. So how will he be with us? This is a Trinitarian work. Trinitarian being Father, Son, and Spirit, all being God, okay? Turn to Acts chapter 1. 
Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. This is how he is with us. This is called the ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, and verse 8, if you don't have verse 8 circled or underlined, make sure you do that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Do you hear that language that we heard in Isaiah 43? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven, as, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here's what we need to know about this, that his being with us, okay, Jesus is here as a man, as a physical flesh man, okay? Jesus has to ascend to the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for his church day and night. I never want us to lose the wonder and lose all of the fact that Jesus Christ, who is God, is praying for his church. That he is praying for his people that he translates what the prayers of his people are to the Father. That is an incredible thing to me. That makes me want to run out into the street and proclaim the good news of the gospel because I know that it will not fall on deaf ears. God will accomplish his plan. He will accomplish his plan. So if we look at the church or the body of Christ in the original language, it's this word called ecclesia, okay? Ecclesia. You spell it E-K-L-E-S-S-I-A, okay? This is what ecclesia means, okay? I'm going to make you a little bit smarter this morning, okay? You're going to feel like you went to seminary. Ecclesia is the called out ones, the ones who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is a local body of believers who are, are adopted into the family of God on mission for the glory of God until Christ returns to gather her and unite him, himself to her in marriage for eternity. So the Bible tells us about a people that God called and is calling out of darkness into light whom Christ purchased and seals with his spirit and will preserve her until he comes to collect her. That's an incredible thought, to think that God himself will preserve his church until he comes to collect her. Until Christ Jesus himself splits the sky and he comes to gather his church. That's an incredible thought to me that his church will not fail on the plan that he has set before them. Let me tell you this, and this is probably going to make, this is probably going to, you're like, why did you even say that, Ricky? God does not have a plan B in his back pocket. 
His plan A is the church. That is His plan A, and God never has a plan B because we believe that God is sovereign over all things. And His church will prevail. No matter how small she is, no matter how big she is, no matter how awesome of a building she has or it's an old Sears warehouse, it does not matter. God will prevail through His church. That is is His plan A. If you look at the whole narrative from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we talked a bit about this a couple of weeks ago. The very first gospel that God preaches himself, he preaches that the seed of the woman who would be Mary would come and crush the head of the serpent. And that happened on the cross. From that very moment, you see a plan unfolding in the fact that God is sending His one and only Son to live, to die, to defeat death, and to ascend for elect exiles. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see where this language is used. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. If you, if you write in your Bible, circle that elect exiles, okay? And here's what that means. It's God's chosen people. That's what elect means, God's chosen people. Look at me for just a second. Peter, in the New Testament, him using the language exiles means that this is not your home. Listen to me, church, for just a sec. Look at me for just a minute. If you are aiming to have your best life now, then (laughs) your best life isn't coming. Your best life is not coming. For the, for the person who is not in Christ, if this is their best life now, that's true. Because guess what's coming? The wrath of God for eternity. That is not a good life to live. So guess what? As Christians, as elect exiles, we will uh, endure persecution and suffering and all kinds of calamities will come our way. Why? Because Romans chapter 8 says that if Christ Jesus himself suffered, so will his people. And I'll tell you one thing that's true about the church, especially in America, is that the church in America does not know how to suffer. Biblically speaking, we do not know how to suffer. And you're like, Ricky, why would, why, would, why would you want to talk about suffering? Because it's biblical. Because there's a life that's coming for the Christian where we will no longer experience suffering. We will no longer experience pain and tears and, and wrath or anything like that. We will experience the fullness of God's glory. That is what awaits us as elect exiles. So... One of the last places I'm going to have you turn is Acts chapter 2. We're going to talk more about this next week. Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 42. And they, being the church, 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, or the Word of God, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Listen to this, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This was a way of life for the early church. They fought for community. They lived in community. They died in community. Listen to me for just a minute. In that day, I want you to, I want you to think about this, to put it in context for you. For many of them, for them to become Christians was a death sentence on their life. And not only that, many times their families would kick them out. And that is happening in our day right now. Not so much in America, but it is happening overseas, especially in China. Chinese people are coming to Christ by the thousands and they they get kicked out of their own house and they have nowhere to live. So guess who takes them in? The church. The church takes them in. It's not about a nation. It's not about a president. It's not about a governor giving them handouts. It's about the church saying, we're going to rally around you as our family. You are our family. You are a blood-bought daughter and son of God, an elect exile, and you will live with us. There are people who actually take people into their own homes, and they foot the bill for, their own, for that, that person. This is, this is such a crazy thought, especially for the church in America. Because what we do is we come on Sunday morning and we punch a ticket and we go home and then we don't think, sometimes we don't think about each other throughout the week. We come here, we shake hands, we say things are fine and really things are falling apart at home. Because we can't live in honest community. One of the greatest things that God does is to truly know us. One of the the biggest fears for us is to be truly known. And to live in community, you have to be truly known. You have to be truly known. So I want you to take a moment right there where you are, and I want you to take inventory of your life. Is living in community with the people of God worth fighting for? Has it just become something you attend from time to time? And let me ask you this question. Who in your life is spurring you on to godliness? Take take account of your life and think, are the people at work spurring me on to godliness? Are the people in my own home spurring me on to godliness? Maybe. Are the friends that I gather with on a Friday night, are they spurring me on to godliness? I want you to think about that. 
And you're like, well, Ricky, you got it easy. You're a pastor. You're around church people all the time. I'll tell you what, church people, sometimes they don't spur me on to godliness. And I want more than anything for us to be a church who truly lives in community, who fights for community. Did you know that's why we we keep things so simple here at Redeemer? That's why we don't do Wednesday night stuff. That's why we don't keep you up here on Sunday night. We don't do those things. We offer you a Sunday morning service, and then we offer you gospel communities throughout the week that meet for about an hour. Are you willing to fight for community? Or are other things going to be more important? And I'll tell you, I have kids. Annabella, she does cheer on Monday nights. My kids want to do, they want to play games and they want to go here and they want to do, that's important to me. I'm not saying those things are sinful, but when it becomes more about those things, that's where we get in trouble. That's where we lose sight of who the church really is. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 one more time. That was our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ Jesus drawing near. I want you to really seriously think about this. And, and I, don't, I don't ever want you to think that, um, that I, don't, I, I lose sight of things too. Sometimes things become more important to me too and to my family. And we have, guess who reminds us when those things become most important is the people of God. Ricky, are you losing sight of what's truly important? Because guess who we're going to spend eternity with? The church. The true church. The elect exiles. And man, how sad is it that even even me saying that, for some people it's going to be like, I don't want to spend eternity with that guy. He drives me crazy. Or I want to spend time with, I don't want to spend eternity with Ricky. He's going to make me feel bad all the time. Guess what? I'm not going to have to preach in heaven. Which is, that's encouraging for my kids, I'm sure. But is the church worth fighting for? Is this worth fighting for? This is eternal. The things around us are temporal. Your job, uh, your, your hobbies, those things are temporal. They're not going to last forever. But the church of Jesus Christ will. Let's be that church. Let's be that church that fights for community. And let's let this be our prayer. Turn to Psalm 84. It's our last one to turn to. Psalm 84, starting in verse 1, says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And skip over to verse 10. 
For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And you're like, Ricky, I thought you, were talk- I thought you said that the building, you know, it's not really about the building. What the psalmist is saying here is saying to be with the people of God. To be with the people of God, that's where my soul longs to be. In fact, I faint at the thought that I get to be with the people of God. Let's let that be our prayer this morning. That we will do whatever it takes to fight for community, to fight to be known, to fight to know people and to love people well. I want to, this morning, I want to invite you into this, I do. If you have questions about how to get involved in a gospel community or whatever it is, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to be a part of this. I know for some of you, I could ask you, how have you benefited from the love at Redeemer? And you could say, this and this and this and this, these things have been done for me. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a family that rallies around you, especially when suffering comes. That's what, we want to, that's what we want to be. So I'm inviting you into this this morning. And if you're not in Christ, I want to invite you into this family. There is nothing else like the family of God. There is nothing else like being known by the family of God and knowing that these people aren't going to go out into the community and share things about you. If you were here last week, I shared some really, some really um, private things about myself. And guess what? I wasn't afraid that anyone in this room was going to go out and share it with anybody in an inappropriate way because I knew that I was among family members. Church, I love you too much to not tell you the truth. I have to tell you the truth. That is my job to tell you the truth in love. Let's pray.
have that with you. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come forward. And we're going to worship, and then we're going to take communion in just a moment. Um, but know, know this. Anything I say from here is said in love. And sometimes we have to say the hard things. And it could be like, Ricky, you don't know what I'm going through right now. And I, that's true. But I want to be a good and loving pastor who says hard things in love. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word, that your word can be applied to our lives, not that our lives can be applied to the word, but it's better for your, for your word to be applied to our lives. So God, we ask now that as we worship, God, that we would be able to truly sing in freedom and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Let us cry out and worship, God, and say we surrender to you. We surrender to your plan. We submit to you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.